Um, we're going to do a message, and I'm actually very proud of myself. This is something, I'm, it's one of my New Year's uh, resolutions, is normally my notes that you guys don't get to see are uh, two, two to three times this on a Thursday night, hence why we go about 45 minutes. Uh, my goal for the new year is to get that maybe a page or two smaller. Tonight's only three, so we're at three. Um, but the series is going to be awesome. It is called Redeemer's Present, and it's kind of a you know Christmassy, right, present, but the, the present of the Redeemer. And it's pretty much the look of Jesus all the way from the Old Testament into the New, ending with, obviously, our worship night on the 16th. Um, so tonight is going to be the first part of the message uh, where we are talking about the Redeemer's, uh, the prophecy of it and, and, the, and the starting of it. Then Trevor is going to hit next week, uh, since I'm out for wedding duty stuff uh, for one of our family members, Trevor is going to be preaching on how all the covenants point towards Jesus. And then our worship night is going to be the conclusion of that and the presentation of Jesus Christ in the New Testament and also an amazing mix of solid worship and really good Christmas hymns. Um, so that is going to be an awesome event and a lot of fun. So to dive in tonight, let me just pray real fast, uh, and then we're going to go right into the message, and then we'll go right into activities after that, which will be emceed by no other than uh, Jared in the back with his very awkward sweater. So let me pray. <laughs> the bow tie is crooked, and I think that's what gets me. There it is. All right. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for just the gift, most importantly, of Jesus Christ. Um, Lord, as we were talking a little bit earlier, just in Romans, you actually say that Jesus is the mercy seat. And so, God, we, we just pray that over us tonight, that we realize just how much grace and mercy you've shown us through Jesus. Um, and Lord, if there's not a single person in this room who, who hasn't wrestled with the gospel, wrestled with the reality of Jesus. I pray that that starts working in their hearts tonight. Lord, I pray over all the activities after this that we can just have fun. Because I know in this season, for a lot of us, it can be weird. Loss of friendships, loss of family members, moving away from family, being alone. God, all these things. I hope everyone in this room tonight knows that they are part of the refinery family, and better yet, they're part of your family, if they are his. And so, God, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and and that's the best part. So I pray over tonight's message that it is all your words and not mine. And uh, Lord, we just love you so much. And we pray this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So there's, can we tack it down just a little bit? Or am I too close to like the speaker? All right, cool. So I want to accomplish two things tonight in this sermon and in, and in this message series, honestly. There's two main goals that I have. First is that we see the gorgeous reality of Jesus through all of the scriptures because I think for a lot of us, it can be very weird to try and find Jesus even in Genesis or Exodus or, or Numbers, right? It's, it's hard to find that sometimes, and it's hard to keep that in mind when we're reading the Bible. So, so that's kind of my game plan with this, but also, second that we see the intimate relationship that God has with his creation and his people to accomplish his plan, right? See, God could have ended it all, and we're going to kind of read through that tonight, and yet he chose not to. Um, God, had a, God has a very specific plan, and, and so what I want to talk about is uh, last sermon series that we had, we pulled out key doctrines, right? We, every, every message had a different doctrine and had different... Um, theological theme, which 
the little my doctrine books that you guys were talking that we kind of talked about, and if you guys would like the key doctrines, I'll put it into a booklet. Are now at the printer, so you guys will be able to actually just have them all into a little booklet. Um, we did a really good job, hopefully, of putting it all together for you. So hopefully, it can be a blessing. But what I want to do with this is, isn't this Christmas series? There's two there's two areas of of how to study and how to read scripture that I want to really teach you guys, and and you might already know it. So hopefully, it's just a reminder, but. Um, it's the reality that a lot of prophecy actually has a dual fulfillment, talking about the immediate and the future, but also a thing called typology or foreshadowing, which is a lot of what the Old Testament does. And that's actually, that typology part, you're going to see a lot in the next message with, with Trevor. Um, and, and so tonight we're going to see the, a lot of the dual fulfillment in prophecy that we're told and in the promises made in Scripture. Um, but I do have to kind of backfill a little bit. See, dual fulfillment of prophecy is amazing because we see how God works in the immediate sense of prophecy. And then we see in the New Testament where Jesus and the apostles expound on those prophecies to point towards Jesus specifically. But where it can get dangerous is when you start seeing people running around calling themselves a prophet and they have a van wrapped with their face on it and they show up to your summer camp, right? Like if you've gone to Kalakwa, you know what I'm talking about. But that's, that's where it gets creepy and weird, where prophecies are now like, oh, see, I know when the world's going to end because the Euphrates River is drying up. And it talks about that in Scripture. But Scripture also clearly tells us that no one, not even the sun, knows when the world shall end. So why in the world would we be able to know by some water getting dried up? Unless you're a TikTok influencer and then you have all the answers. Typology is the gorgeous reality in this awesome realm that we see scripture speak into and make the connection, but it can be dangerous again when we start making things a connection that's never there, right? So very clearly we see Noah's ark talked about as a foreshadow to the way Jesus Christ is going to bring us through the waters. We never see someone say, okay, every time you see a tiki torch, think of the burning bush and Jesus is going to speak to you through the fire like in Harry Potter, right? We don't see that, so we can't say that that's a type. And so that's why I want to put the guidelines on there that if Scripture explains it and Scripture pushes it forth, then run with it. But if Scripture is dead silent on it, don't try to speak into it. You're not God. I want to, I want to give you this quote by a guy. His name is Derek Thomas. He's a Ligonier minister. He's also a pastor and a professor of theology. But he says this. He says, God's method of grace is costly. The heels of the Savior were bruised. Clearly, this is a metaphor into the context is to be uh, contrasted with the blow to the serpent that he receives. But it is immediately apparent that it involves the shedding of substitutionary blood. That seems to be what lies behind the provision of animal skins as the covering for Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.21. Blood needs to be shed for sin to be forgiven, something that accounts for why it was Abel's offering, the firstborn of his flock, is accepted, but Cain, who had fruit of the soil, was not in Genesis 4. The way is now clear. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, Hebrews 9.22. And so what he's saying, he's showing us. He's showing us that there's these foreshadows, there's these pushing forths of themes and motives in Scripture that bring us to a whole, that everything is connected if we read it correctly. 
And so if you have your Bibles tonight, if you need one, we do have them back there. But we are in Genesis, starting in Genesis chapter 3. This is the beautiful promise of the Redeemer. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. See, as we covered in our last series, Adam and Eve had one command within the freedom, right? It says, you are free to eat of every tree, but just not this one. Not that God was trying to be unfair or put something in front of them that was just incomprehensible. But it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so God was going to walk with Adam and Eve to this tree as they matured and as they grew with him. So he said, you have this one rule. Do not eat of this tree until I say so. Don't eat of this tree until I bring you there. And yet, what did we do? Satan came into the garden and we decided to screw it up. And we always want to blame the snake, right? It's always the snake's fault, never our fault. That's still humanity today. We do that every time something happens. Who was it me? They made me do it. No, they didn't. Your sin nature made you do it. You chose to do it. Because it says Eve desired. She saw that it was good, right? It was all these, all these attributes related to Eve and Adam. We don't take him out of the blame. He should have stopped her. So guys, you can't ever say, oh, it's all the women's fault. It's not. We should have been the leader and stepped up, but we didn't. But I love this part. See, it says, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. It's a promise. See, because in Genesis 3 and the verses right before and the verses right after, God's actually cursing Satan and he's cursing humanity. That's where we see the strife between man and woman in relationship, where we see now work is no longer work for good, but it's you're going to labor and you're going to toil and you're not going to have the reward that you thought you would from work. That's why we see the people hustle till you die, right? Sleep when you're dead. And we all think that's something good, that's something to brag about. Trust me, if you ask my wife, I struggle with that. If I could, I'd be working 24-7. And yet we know that that's never going to be fully satisfying. That's not going to bring us life. That's not going to bring us eternity. Work was not a curse, work was cursed. So don't ever go, ah, the fall, the work happened after the fall. No, work came and was there and was good. It was cursed after the fall. And it's now become something that we struggle and strife with. But this promise is put in between. And see, we see the immediate fulfillment of this promise, right? We know every good movie has right? The hero and the villain. Good versus evil. We have a Lord of the Rings sweater in here. We, we, the, right? It, the good is against all odds. And evil's just all around. And then there's that weird just golem guy who is just probably that friend who talks your ear off too much about weird topics, right? But, but it's just a, it's the nature in us. We want to see the good overcome the evil, right? That's in us. Good and evil is always that motive. And so even throughout history, right, we see it with Cain and Abel. We see it with Noah's Ark. Israelite and the Israelites in Egypt. There's always good and bad struggling. And so we see, right, I will put hostility between you and the woman 
between your offspring and her offspring. We see the immediate fulfillment of this prophecy and this promise given. Hence why the Old Testament, a lot of people are like, we don't read it, it's gross, it's gruesome, and it's scary. Because every other like, conversation's about war. Or you have Solomon who's like, well, you two can't decide whose baby it is? Go get me a sword. We'll just split the baby. Then you both can have it. Right? We, just, we see this, this nature of it. But we see the future. See, sticking strictly to the contents, and I, and I put that mainly in there for myself because I already want to jump ahead and talk about, about Jesus and everything, but I got I to gotta keep myself here in the moment. It says he, at the end of the promise, it says he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. See, all of a sudden, the, the, the plural now shifted to the singular, showing us that the plural was this immediately fulfillment of the offspring, of the lineage of God's people and Satan's people. But then all of a sudden it switches to a singular, talking about that, that specific one who was going to crush the head of the serpent. There is a redeemer coming. We do not know, we, we do not know the specific name. It doesn't say, hey, Jesus, by the way. Hey, we're going to call him Jesus. He's going to come in a manger. We didn't get that far yet. But they didn't need that far to understand that salvation was coming. Because it says he will strike. They understood that. And I love this. It's what we actually call the proto-evangelion. The first gospel. The gospel has been around since Genesis 3. Not in John 3.16. Genesis 3 is when the gospel has been around. When the promise of a redeemer has been there. And so we, I, I, I keep using the word promise, I mean, prophecy, and then there's almost this promise to fulfill it we see just a few chapters later in Genesis 12. See, we see the promise come about in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 7. Let me read them to you. It says, The Lord said to Abram, who we later on know as Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons. All right, good. <laughs> the Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with content, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, and as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abram was a ripe young age of 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot and all the possessions that had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out from the land of Canaan, uh, of the land of Canaan. They came to the land of Canaan. Abraham passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Morah, the time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. And so I give you guys this for this reason, because if you look through this again, if we pay good and careful attention, we see the immediate and we see the future. Right? We were already told that there was this now immediate struggle between good and evil, but there was going to be a future solution. Right? Have faith in that future redeemer. Have faith and him to come as you struggle with good and evil. 
See, from the garden, we reached the brink of total darkness, right, to the point that we saw the flood, right? It got so crappy that God was like, I'm going to literally flood the earth. It wasn't a local flood. It wasn't a puddle that Noah just freaked out about, that people try to explain. If you want to know more, just watch Ken Ham and Bill Nye argue for five hours. The first one was decent. The second one just got crazy. So God moves forward with redemption, right? He seals the ark for them. He seals them into the ark. They don't close the ark. He seals them into the ark to make sure Noah and his family can move forth. Noah's name meant grace. God was going to push grace forth through that family and through his plan. See, then from the ark, we get to the Tower of Babel, which was also bad, right? Nimrod. Nimrod was actually the guy's name. I'm not being mean. But then Nimrod was full of pride. And Nimrod said, let us build a city and a tower of worship before God sees what's happening. That's how prideful he was. He was like, we can do this before God shows up. And what happens from there? God said, go forth and, and, and multiply across the world. They wanted to settle down right there. And so God scattered them and gave them different languages. Hence why we have different languages. Hence why I speak Flemish that no one else cares about. Right? That's why we have different languages now is because it was, it was brought forth to make us actually have to come together and see that there was a God and work together and all these things. It was part of his creation, but part to move his plan forward. See, this covenantal promise then picks up the prophecy that came of a redeemer. See, if by faith Abram followed God's command, God would use Abram and his family to bring about the redemption of humanity. Right? In verses 1 through 6 in chapter 12, we see the benefits of it, right? It says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with content, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. See, but before any of that happens, Abraham had to say, okay, am I going to have faith by leaving everything I know and the comfort that there is of what I'm doing and where I'm at to move forth into hostile territory, into land with people who currently want to kill us, hoping that God is actually going to use us to be blessed, but also to be a blessing to the world. See, it was by faith Abram had to step out and do that. But we see the future. In verse 7, it again picks up the singular. See, it keeps talking about making Abram and his family a great nation and a blessing and all these things. And, and, and then in verse 7, it says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. And, and for a while, I struggled over that. I'm like, can I really use this verse as, a, as an immediate and a future? Is there really something to this? Is this really the promise being pushed forth? And it is. Because if you go back to the original Hebrew, that offspring is singular. It's not offsprings. It's not your seeds. It is singular. And it's actually picked up by Paul in Galatians 3.16 where he says that the, that the offspring that was being talked about from Abraham was not offsprings. He actually explains the whole thing there. See, and, and a lot of people love that front part of the verse, but then you read the back half where it says, and I will give this land. So he's talking about this land, right? And so many people then all of a sudden go knew it let's protect israel let's go get all the temple pieces let's go get the red heifers and let's start building this bad boy we got to get the land back 
But what we realize is if we read Hebrews 11, it said Abraham died still anticipating that land. It said, why? Because God always had a better view of that land. The promised land was a foreshadow and a type to something to come. And when you read chapter 11 in the, in the hall of faith, as we like to call it, right, you see him actually point forth and say that promised land was actually a never a fulfillment in itself. It was always a picture to something that was eternal. There was a better land coming for those people. But we also, isn't it interesting to see the conflict and the blessing and the curse in the Middle East, over there with Israel, with the nation of Israel. We see these people, and we see them coming back as a nation. We see all these things, but it's always just never good enough, right? It, uh, something always goes awry. And we get the point to that when we read Hebrews 11. We see that that, that promise has an eternal goal in mind. So not only is God promising a singular redeemer, He's also promising us that true promised land. And better yet, he's saying, I promise to make this happen. I promise to do this because I'm going to be the one to make your name great. I'm going to be the one to make you a great nation. I'm going to be the one to bless those who bless you. I'm going to be the one to curse those who curse you. It's never Abram doing any of this. It's always God doing this through him. Why? Because Abraham has placed his faith in God. It is by grace through faith. So we see the prophecy of a redeemer in Genesis 3.15. We see the promise of that redeemer being played out in Genesis 12. And then to end, we see it here in Genesis 15, the protection of that promise. We see the protection of that prophecy. We see the protection of God holding up and holding all things together for what he is doing. In Genesis 15, starting in verse 2, I'm going to read down to about verse 6. It says this, it says, But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram continued, Look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be the heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him and said, This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. Verse 5, He took him outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said, Your offspring will be that numerous. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. See, Abraham understood the singularity of the Redeemer, because he said this, this, right, if the Redeemer is coming from me like this, I don't have an offspring. I don't have someone to bear the name. I don't have someone to bear the promise, but a slave in my house. And God is saying, no, like, you're only 75, buddy. He's probably a little bit older now, right? He was, he was young at 75, But also, I love, I love how God is so intimate with this, with this conversation, just this one comment. He says, I want you to go, can you, follow, come with me. You, you see all these stars? 
It wasn't like 10. It wasn't, he's like, oh yeah, there's Orion's belt. That's the only stars in the whole universe. If you live in Florida, that's what it looks like half the time, especially in the city. No, he's saying it's, it's innumerable. It is beyond comprehension. And how did those stars get in the sky? By the word of the Lord. God spoke and they were. God gave by his word the promise to Abram. God spoke the promise. So the same words that were able to power creation are the same words that promise a redeemer. They're not any less powerful. They're not any less immeasurable. They are everything. The words that literally created our universe, created you and I in the womb, are the same words that hold this promise. That's what he's saying when he says, go look at the stars. Not just the fact that he's going to have a great nation like he was already promised before, but my words created everything. My words can hold that promise together. And 7 through 17, he finishes off the dialogue. It says, He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? He said to him, bring me three, a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. It's like Noah's Ark. So he brought all these to him, cut them in half, sorry, Peter, laid the pieces opposite of each other, but he did not cut the birds into, uh, in half. Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them off. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over, came over Abram, and suddenly a great terror and darkness descended on him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain, your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land, and afterwards they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation they will return here, for the inequities of the Amorites have not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set, it was, uh, it was dark. And this is where I want you to grasp. The end of 17. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. See, this is one of those images that if we don't truly comprehend, we just think, again, it's weird. Like bloodshed, weird stuff, animals dying. What's up with the Old Testament? But what we're actually seeing depicted is a covenantal ceremony that was natural to all cultures and things. And in that time, that was whenever a covenant was made, this was the ceremony that solidified it. And so what you would do is you would put the carcasses along the walk path, and then the two people would hold hands and walk through. And at the end of it, they would turn around, and they would look and see the carcasses, and that would be the picture to say, if either one of us breaks this promise, this is how we will end up. Pretty much, you, it's like the, how we all hold, held a pinky promise, right? You can't break a pinky promise. But for them, it was, if you can't hold this promise, you will die. We will rip you in half, and you will die. So then why did Abraham fall asleep? Because God made sure that this promise would only be held by one person. 
It was by God alone that this covenant promise was going to be satisfied because it was by him walking through as the firing pot and the flaming torch that he said, it is by myself and me alone that this covenant promise is going to be fulfilled. Abraham, you fall asleep over there so you don't do anything stupid and try to walk through. So here's my conclusion and my lead into next week. There is a redeemer that is foretold by God. God makes a promise to see it happen, and God will protect this plan at all costs. We get no part in solidifying our own salvation, in protecting it or in keeping it. When you surrender your life to him, you are his. Why? Because he said so. Why? Because his son paid the full cost. Jesus walked through that promise and said, I will make sure this comes to pass. And that's why I'm so excited for what Trevor is going to be walking with you guys through next week. So that the, hopefully on like a 30,000 foot view, and I gave him a high order for next week, that through all the different covenants, right, of David and of Moses, even the land promise, all these things, he's going to walk you through and show you how they, there was an immediate fulfillment that was temporal, and, but they point to a future fulfillment that's eternal. That this promise made to us in Genesis 3.15 is going to stand firm, that it does stand firm, and then on December 16th, we will see the one who makes it complete. But I hope this brings you peace tonight, to know that God made a promise to bring salvation. And if he promised it, he has a plan for it, and if he has a plan for it, he is going to protect it. Because it is his plan, it is his purpose, it is his promise. There is hope, there is grace, there is salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And you don't have to worry about ever losing it if you are his. Why? Because he bought it. He paid for it all on his own. Amen? All right, because there's really no good transition. I'm going to pray like every good pastor. And then we're going to hand it over to my helper elf named Jared. And uh, we're going to rock and roll with some different activities that he's going to explain. So let's bow our heads and we'll get going. Father, just thank you for this time. Thank you for just, it, it doesn't matter how awkward or goofy or whatever it might be, Lord. This is your word. This is your truth. And God, we are so thankful for you. We are so thankful for what you even promised just in Genesis in a few chapters, Lord. God, that you promised redemption. So God, I pray if there's a, there's just even one person in this room who has never really had that conversation, never really understood the reality of them being a sinner and them needing Jesus Christ as their Savior. I pray they have that conversation tonight, Lord. I pray over all the activities that we're about to dive into. Let us just fellowship. Let us grow. Let us make new friendships. Let us just have an amazing time communing with one another under your name and under your roof. Lord, we love you so much, and we pray this under your son's name, Jesus. Amen.